Uh, all right. Hey, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus. Um, well, while you find that, I was so excited. You know, you know, Dr. Young writes all of his messages out in advance, and he's got it all planned out on the calendar, and you know, I just kind of see what happens. I just turn the page and see what comes up next. But I was so excited that we were teaching through the Gospel of John, and we were coming up to the resurrection on Easter. And it looked like I had planned this thing, and uh, then COVID happened. And so we're, we're, we're still going to come back to the Gospel of John, but we're just kind of jumping around the passages, what, whatever God kind of lays on my heart. Uh, during the week, we're, we're going we're gonna to do that for a little while. So here we are in Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 23. Exodus 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is one of those uh, portions of the scriptures that uh, often get uh, rushed over or overlooked altogether. Um, It usually gets smushed into the previous hunk of verses, um, or it gets smushed into the following hunk of verses, but people really don't know what to do with it. Um, and um, in picking it, it's, it's interesting. I, I, it's just three little verses. I underlined nine things and bracketed two things. <laughs> and I just, as I was looking for a passage to go to, I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get past this thing. I just was intrigued with it and, and drawn to it. Um, I also wanted to show you this. This is called a fat book. Is that not a fat commentary? That's one of my fattest volumes that I've got on my, on my commentary shelf. And I can show you, out of all this, this is what has been designated for our, our verses for today. <laughs> so it's, the people are not writing a ton on it. In fact, one awesome commentator just skipped it altogether. The verses were not in his, in his commentary or referred to at all. I just put it right back on the shelf. Um, but um, so what's the takeaway? I, I look at this and I start underlining things and and uh, I came up with this as a main idea. Our main idea is this, that God hears and helps because he remembers and knows. And just reading that, that should be an encouragement to your soul. Um, but within these three little verses, uh, it, it springs forth redemption in Jesus Christ. It is, it is, it is the kernel of uh, what God is about to do. In fact, you know, when runners are on a runner's block and they're about to, you know, go, and it's almost kind of like a runner's block for the gospel. And of course, that can be said about many things in the Bible, a runner's block that just kind of uh, springs forth uh, something. But this, this passage has kind of a, a, a here-we-go flavor to it, all right? One more thing by way of introduction. The story of Moses here appears in a a little bit of a quartet. Um, You know, you got um, Moses being born. You know, it's a real terrible, it's a real terrible time. Pharaoh, the the current Pharaoh, uh, is looking at all the Israelites being born. So he's, all these Israelites are in in, uh, slavery and they're in captivity. And he's looking at all these Israelites and they're like, they're like, hmm, sure are getting to be a lot of them. And uh, so Pharaoh has an idea. He says, you know what, take the boys... Uh, who are born and throw them in the Nile so the alligators can eat them, or crocodiles, whatever they are, have over there, uh, which is a, uh, what, quite a horrible, grisly thought. But uh, the, the thought is, hey, 
Uh, you kill all the fighting soldier type guys uh, and uh, you keep them subdued and you still maintain slave labor and control. So that's what Pharaoh was doing. And so you know the story. Moses is born and uh, his mom puts him in a little basket, floats it down the river and Pharaoh's daughter can't resist and she sees this baby and she raises it. Uh, and then uh, Moses grows up. So that's one, one first piece of the, of the quartet. Moses grows up and um, he grows up privileged in the house of Pharaoh. Yet he knows that he's a Hebrew, and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and um, he looks this way and that way, and he kills the Egyptian. But there was a, he, was, he was spotted, and so he's got to flee. So he flees to the land of Midian, right? That's number two in the quartet. So he's born, he's got to get out of, out of Dodge. Then it's our passage here, which, uh, you know, God hears and helps because he remembers and knows. And then right after that is... Uh, the burning bush, where God reveals himself. So Moses is born. He's in the house of Pharaoh. He kills an Egyptian. He has to flee to uh, Midian. He, uh, God intervenes in our passage here, and then God reveals himself in the little quartet. Of course, the Moses narrative runs on long after that, uh, but not without the addition of Aaron and the subsequent dealings with the new Pharaoh and all that. What's noteworthy about this little quartet is the, the reason I bring this up is you've got a main character, Moses. And in the second one, you got a main character, Moses. And in the third one, the character changes to God. And in the fourth one, it's God. Um, God hears and helps because he remembers and knows. You know, it says here that Moses, in verse 11, one day Moses had grown up. He went out to his people and looked at their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked way that way, and he kills the guy. Moses looked. He saw. He intervened. What became of that? Would that turn out well? It did not turn out well. It was not effective. Was there deliverance? No. Was there justice? No. In fact, one commentator said uh, Moses only achieved a disaster. So Moses saw, he intervened, he achieved a disaster. God saw, it says here, he saw the people of Israel. God saw, and he intervened, and the result was ultimately redemption and forgiveness in a crucified Christ springing forth from this uh, people. Pretty awesome. All right, so uh, first point of four, days of groaning. It says in verse 23, during those many days. Uh, well, what many days and how many days exactly? Do we know? Does it even tell us here? Well, we've got a few clues. Uh, we know from Deuteronomy 34 that Moses lived 120 years. Okay? We also know from Acts uh, chapter 7, it says when Moses was 40 years old, uh, he killed this Egyptian guy and had to flee. And so we're told in Acts how old he was, okay, when he, when he Exodus 2.11, that guy, all right? And then we also know that the wilderness wanderings, wanderings this is from Numbers 14, the wilderness wanderings um, would take place for 40 years. And so that accounts for all of Moses' life. So when it says during those many days, the, uh, the king of Israel, uh, Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned out, how many days? 40 years worth of days, that's a lot of days. You think about that. Um, the people of Israel groaned for 40 years. That's a lot of groaning. Um, and, and by the way, not only that, um, you don't have to turn. Let me just jump back here. Uh, in in Genesis, Genesis 15, when God makes a covenant with Abram, he says, um, yeah, he says, uh, the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 
400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. That's what's about to happen now under God's use of Moses' uh, leadership. But that's a lot of groaning, ladies and gentlemen. 40 years of groaning, 400 years of slavery, a life of slavery. Um, have you ever groaned? I bet you have. Haven't we all groaned? You know, when you, when you groan, your insides are, are twisted. It's not just merely sighing, but it's just groaning, groaning. And you know, the Bible says that all of creation is groaning for the day that Christ comes back to set all things right. But, um, you know, when you groan, your, your insides are twisted and your face is grimaced and it can be pervasive. It can extend to all areas of your life. It can be persistent. It can go on and on and on and on, this groaning. Um, and I'll, I'll continue to talk about this and give you some relief in our next point, okay? But um, for now, let's go ahead and apply something. You know, in Romans chapter 6, Paul refers to sin as slavery. Isn't that interesting that sin is called slavery? Why does, the, why does the Bible speak of that so specifically? You know, I've used this illustration before, but um, it, it's, it's, a, it's been a long time. It's, in a, it's a powerful one. Who, has anybody seen the movie 12 Years a Slave? Who's seen that movie, 12 Years a Slave? Let me tell you, there's a, there's a man. He uh, has a wife and two children. He lives in, I think, Boston, somewhere in the Northeast. And he's a violinist, a concert violinist, a trained violinist. And he's got a home and a beautiful life, and, and he's a free man. And uh, so one day he meets these other two musicians, and they're like, oh, you're a musician, great. Hey, we need a violin player for this gig. You want to play the gig? Sure. They go play the gig. And um, it goes well. And they go out, and they have some beers afterward. Ah, ha, ha, they become their, their bandmates now, their buddies. And um, then they get another gig, but it's out of town, so near the coast. And uh, it's going to be an overnighter thing. Do you want to do that? And I go, yeah, okay, let's do it. So they go and they travel and they do it. And the gig goes well. And yay, high five and have some beers afterward. Well, during that celebration afterward, one of the other dudes put something in his drink. And he wakes up chained to the floor. Chained to the floor. And uh, somebody comes in and he says, this is a terrible mistake. I'm a free man. My name is such and such. And they say, that's not your name. You're a runaway slave. And he says, no, no, no. My name is such and such. And, uh, and I have a wife and a family. And this is a terrible mistake. And they said, no, that's not your name. Your name is such and such. And you're a runaway slave. And they take a, and they, a whip and they scourge his back and they cover his back with scars so that when he says, no, no, there's a terrible mistake, everybody just goes, yeah, right. You're obviously a runaway slave. But I'm telling you, that scene in that movie where he just wakes up you know, he's with his, his bandmates, his, his work buddies. He wakes up, he's chained to the floor, and is trying to figure out what happened. That, that is the Bible's picture of, of sin, y'all. Slavery. And, uh, and I, I'm saying to you that we all have a gospel groaning, and it happens on the front side of the cross, a gospel groaning, and it happens on the other side of the cross, um, a groaning for all things to be set right. And here's, here's the gospel in a, in a short space. God understands what it is for our souls to be chained to the floor. He knows what that is for us to be entrapped, to be in a, a, in a dominion of sin and not a dominion of light, a dominion of darkness. And what Jesus Christ came to do was set the prisoner free. How did he do that? 
not just God looking the other way. Hey, listen, I think it's awesome that that lady got uh, her sentence commuted and then was pardoned in, in its entirety. But justice truly is in the court of heaven, and God just doesn't look at it, just doesn't go, I'll pardon your sin. Sin is dealt with because somebody else paid the penalty for it. And that's, that, that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross to set us free. Um, all right, let's, let's, uh, let's get a little more hopeful here. Uh, crying out for help. Um, you can see by the, the sermon point uh, that I just threw up there what I'm about to do with the text, I think. You know, in verse 23, it says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Now, I understand that that's the same sentence. They groaned um, because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. And it says that their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. I understand that that's in the same sentence and that you can groan and cry out, that you can do that. But I pause for a second because it is quite possible to groan without crying out for help. It is quite possible just to groan. And I would guess that uh, most of us do more groaning than crying out to God specifically for help. I, I can say that I do that. I groan more than I say, God, specifically, will you help me with this specific thing? Do you do that? You know, we acknowledge God's truth. We acknowledge God, God, His capabilities. We acknowledge gospel realities. We don't waver in those things. Well, I'm just as convinced of Christ's redemption of my soul as ever before. I know who God is. And yet, we tend to want to roll around in a thick mud of misery and groan without it even dawning on us to say, God, help me in this specific situation right now. Help me. Why is that so hard for us? I think it's hard for us because we don't trust God. We believe that God can help. We know that He can. But we don't trust Him. Why do we not trust Him? The answer is we want to maintain control. Um, years ago, I had a friend who uh, had a, owned a Piper Saratoga plane. And uh, we, he took me up in the plane, took Tammy too. There were six of us. We go up in this plane and uh, he lets me fly it. And it's got the, the, this thing, it's got the thing with the feet, the yaw, you know, where you're going to, hey, oh. you know, so you got all this stuff going on and it's, uh, it's, it's different than a Cessna, you know, which I've also been able to mess around with a little bit. But, um, and, you know, it's, and it, by the way, JFK Jr. had just died in the same exact plane, which was, a, which was also a, a fascinating piece of information. He's like, this is the exact same plane JFK Jr. died in. I was like, really? Okay. Well, you know, the, the pilot guy and the co-pilot guy, they each have a steering wheel, and they each can do it. And so he would let me fly it, and my style of flying it was so different than his. I'm gripping, just I'm like a $6 million man about to crash. Just go, oh. And when he flies, he's like, with this pinky, and he lights up a cigarette. He's just totally calm and relaxed. Let me ask you a question. Who would you rather be your pilot? That guy or me? Well, you know, what we want to do is fly our own plane. And we're flying our own plane going, that's groaning. But that's not crying out to say, hey, would you mind flying this, please, and help me specifically, God? Notice, notice how they, they finally cry out specifically. They groan because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. 
Any more specificity? Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. They asked for very specific things. And if you're not praying in specifics, um, then ask yourself why. You can affirm God's character. You can affirm the Bible. You can affirm the cross. You can affirm the Holy Spirit uh, and, and merely be groaning and not crying out for help. Ask yourself, am I trusting in me or am I letting go of the wheel? All right, our third point. God hears and remembers. You know, it says here that um, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And you know, that's such a common refrain in the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we read that and we go, oh yeah, okay, cool, yeah, oh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, those three guys, sure. But friends, I got all those three things underlined. In fact, there's, there's... there's a little more space in all this too. Remember, it's covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. It's not just name, name, name. It's this, it's this, there's a greater emphasis. And so, you know, do you not have to flip, but uh, in Genesis 15, uh, here's, what, here's what God says to Abram. He says, um, yeah, he says, um, he brings uh, Abram outside and he says, uh, look at, toward the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So God makes this covenant with Abraham, and uh, he says, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And there's other great stuff along with that too. Well, we flip ahead. This is in uh, Genesis 26. The Lord appeared um, uh, uh, and, and says, uh, oh, wait a second, where is it? Yeah, two through five. Um, he, appear, he promises this to Isaac. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. It's the same thing he said to Abraham. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. It's the same thing he said to Abram. Abram, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. From the, from the beginning, the moorings of the gospel, the plan was that it would scoop up uh, people all over the world uh, of all kinds of people. But it would come through this people group, this rescuer savior would be a Jewish Messiah. All right, so that's Abraham, that's Isaac. Here's the other guy, Jacob. Um, God appeared to Jacob. Uh, when he came from Padan Aram and, and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Which is, that's kind of interesting. Jacob means supplanter, like sneaky dude, kind of sneaky, um, uh, an underminer. You know, it's kind of in a reference to Esau too. Um, and then Israel means God contends or one, one who wrestled with God. Um, you know, there's like this, this big shift um, but it goes on to say, God said to him, I am God Almighty, uh, Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Now, without pressing the meanings of those names, Jacob and, and Israel, more than I should, can you, not, can you not see a snapshot of the gospel here? To be a moral self-fixer, is to fail. Um, to be overtaken by an outside helper is to succeed. And what you've got this, is this God who, who comes to this 
pagan in the Ur of Chaldees, land of Ur of the Chaldees, and he says, I'm picking you, and from you I'm going to make a great nation. And then he says the same thing to his son, and he says the same thing to his grandson. And God is doing this work. And to be a, a moral self-fixer is to, be over, is, is to fail. To be overtaken by an outsider is to succeed. So Jacob, this supplanter, this sneaky cat, is taken over by this God who wrestles with him and content, he contends with God. Um, and, um, you know, there's an old Charlie Peacock song. Uh, you don't ask a drowning man if he wants to be saved. When you know he's sinking down, down beneath the crashing waves. You know, it's an evangelical song. You don't go, uh, uh, hey, buddy, uh, <clears throat> would you like to be, yes, save me. But you notice that um, you know, when you're drowning and thrashing around and uh, you're running out of energy and you're sinking, you are doomed. But when the Coast Guard helicopter comes above you and they lower the thing with the cage on it and a dude comes in and plucks you out of the water, puts you in it and pulls you up, you're not drowning anymore, you've been rescued. That is a gospel picture, my friends. Uh, the gospel picture is that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Alive, yep, alive. I've got skin, I've got a heartbeat, but doomed. Thrashing around, drowning, sinking. And in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we get plucked out of the water. You know, it would be very easy to say, oh, yeah, throw him a life, a life preserver. Yeah, that's true, but you've got to grab the life preserver. You've been plucked out of the ocean by somebody else. Uh, and that's how the gospel works. That's our application. That's how redemption works. That how, that's how it has always worked. God intervenes. He inserts himself into a situation as he did with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there could be no solution to the problem unless he does that. By the way, that is also how sanctification works. Unless God works, nothing works. Yes, we are to work out our own salvation with trembling and fear, but we do that because it is God who works in us. All right, last point. God sees and knows in verses 24 uh, and 25 of our passage. It says, um, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. You know, as I'm, as I'm underlining things in here, I'm like, man, isn't it something? God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant and he saw the people of Israel and he knew. Are those not terms of a, of a personal, insightful, dynamically ruling and reigning God. Well, you know, many Christians puzzle over this kind of language. Uh, they go, God remembered his covenant. Oh, man, was God playing a video game? And he just went, oh, darn it, those, uh, they're in slavery right now, aren't they? I just remembered my covenant. Um, or does God, he sees the people, does he go, oh, wow, that's a mess down there. <laughs> Look at that. So, is he surprised? No. Um, it says that God knew. Um, he heard. You know, um, many Christians puzzle over that kind of language, and, and, and many terrible, terrible sermons have been preached on that um, uh, and boys' Bible studies, uh, specifically this, this idea of God remembering and seeing and knowing. Have you ever heard somebody preach this? Like, for instance, Hebrews 8.12, I will forgive their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Have you ever heard anybody preach this? God can't remember. He can't remember your sins. I mean, he can't, he can't even remember. It's impossible for God to even remember those sins because that's what that verse says. You ever heard that preached before? I have many times in my lifetime. That is so idiotic. <laughs> God cannot, 
divest himself of an attribute. He can't not be sovereign over a little portion. I'm so sovereign that I made myself not sovereign. He can't do it. It would be untrue to his own, his own self. When the Bible says that God doesn't remember, it doesn't mean that he literally can't remember something. It means that God, it doesn't mean that he deleted something from his hard drive. It means that he's not holding that sin to your account. He doesn't remember it against you. That God saw doesn't mean that he just looked up from his, his newspaper. That he knew doesn't mean that he just gained some kind of knowledge. What we are to see here when the Bible speaks of God in this way is, is, is a God who is engaged with us who's involved with us, who's, who's seeing everything that we're going through. Um, he, he is beyond that which is created, and he has a plan, and his plan includes us. And uh, his story, his story, our story is a part of his story. Our, our story is enfolded in his good purposes. All right, last thing I'll do is I'll show you this. Um, this is a skinny little commentary, and uh, this guy wrote you know, two inches on this, this passage. But half of it I underlined because I thought it was great. The little bit he wrote is fantastic. He, he says this about God remembering his covenant with Abraham. He says, even before the vision of the burning bush, the narrator sets the deliverance from Egypt squarely in the context of the patriarchal promise. To Israel of old, the whole course of the history of salvation could be summed up as being promise and fulfillment. God promises, God remembers, God acts in salvation. That's, that's great. You know, guys, we look at the Old Testament and you've heard, um, you'll hear people go, mm, the burning bush, oh, the burning bush. Oh, I love that story. The wonderful story. Loved it. I love to teach that story to the children. Um, uh, Samson. Oh, Samson and Delilah, it's a wonderful story. Oh, it's about, oh, Daniel, dare to be Daniel. Oh, David and Goliath, do you have any, do you have any Goliaths in your life? Um, how about Rahab? Oh, that's a wonderful story. I like all those stories. Those are interesting stories. Folks, they're not interesting stories. <laughs> they're promise and deliverance. When you read the Old Testament, they're not just random moral tales that kind of help you through the day and get an idea of what God is like. Oh, yeah, they, they do show us what God is like, for sure. But... Uh, it's promise and deliverance, promise and deliverance, promise and deliverance. It's a gospel of promise. God is a God of promise. He promises. We can trust those promises. And um, to, to close, I'll just say, God hears and helps because he remembers and knows. That is the lens through which you look at the gospel and all of redemption. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for knowing and hearing and seeing and responding and uh, giving us a dignity of causality in our crying out to you and, and our, our expecting that you will help us. Lord, I, I pray for me that um, I, would, I would not just be someone who groans, but someone who um, specifically asks you to help me. And I pray that for all of us, Lord. Just, we all have a hard battle uh, and 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 often many hard battles going all at the same time. Um, I pray for this tender flock, Lord, that you would draw us each into fellowship with you, that you would give us the grace to cry out to you in specific terms and to trust you uh, to take the steering wheel. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.